You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. I'm Mella Borowski and you're listening to Bell Book and Candle. Y'all know I love a good ghost tale and I'm intrigued by the macabre and bizarre in the world. So I am so excited to have Michael Mesmer on the show today. Michael is a certified clinical hypnotherapist with a degree in psychology from California Coast University. And he's also an avid ghost hunter who has had paranormal adventures around the world. He's seen some strange things and I cannot wait to hear about them. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Mel. I'm so happy to be here today and be your guest and looking forward to, you know, sharing with your audience my amazing tales and travel. So I'm going to get right into the strange stuff. So you mentioned that you've seen some bizarre trance ceremonies around the world. And I've seen some things on TV that almost seem unbelievable, like the rite of passage into manhood where young men put their hands in gloves full of bullet ants. I don't know if that's considered a trance ceremony, but people do odd things around the world. What have you seen? Well, there's strange things all around the world, including in the U.S. (laughs) I mean, uh, we've probably (laughs) seen the videos of the snake ceremonies at some of the churches and all these strange things. But um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But what I have really experienced in my travels, well, I should say that, you know, a lot of people always wonder why I got so fascinated about this stuff. Well, you know, my grandfather, who was a coal miner for 55 years, had some amazing supernatural experiences in the mines. And this Mm -hmm. was in Wheeling, West Virginia. And uh, so this is what started me because one day I tell you this amazing story and then we can go to this stuff in Asia because it kind of leads together. So my grandpa was mining. And in those days, of course, it was like the old Tennessee Ernie Ford song about the company store and 16 tons. And you you paid for the place you lived to the company. You bought food from the company and you worked in their mine. And the reason that's important is because this one particular day, my grandpa was down in the mine with a, a mule. And, and his pick and his canary, because that's what they had to know if there was going to be a gas explosion. And all of a sudden he said an angel. Now he framed it in this way, that an angel appeared to him and the angel told him to leave that mine immediately. Now, as I mentioned, the company store company owned everything that you had, everything that you were. So you, unless you were really sick, you didn't leave that mine. Well, hmm. then uh, he took what the angel said and he believed it. So he left the mine. And about an hour later, he learned that everyone in that mine perished in an explosion. And he went back and saw all of his friends laying along the ground waiting to be picked up by their family. So that was what took me to the start of my beliefs and my thoughts about the spirit world and about angels and about other places and other dimensions than what we just see in front of us. So it's kind of an interesting story, right? Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine. You, You almost wonder if there was any type of guilt or something from that wow i think there was i think i think that's why he shared the story with so much because i think he it always bothered him you know yeah he uh and then also another thing that happened to him really quickly here before we get into the stuff over in asia he um he was a gambler (laughs) uh and Mm. and so he, he he liked to gamble when he was young and this was another story that happened he was going to gamble one night and literally the handle on the door into the gambling room, the palace, it wasn't like Las Vegas, it was like in private, right? It mm-hmm. it actually burnt his hand. 
And he realized, wow. yes, and he realized, you know what? I don't belong here anymore. And he never gambled again. Wow, that's something. I think there was always angels looking after him or, you know, a higher power looking after him and yeah. guiding him to, you know, make good choices in his life. So tell me about Asia. Yes. So I just want to frame it a little bit because people often say, you know, okay, is this guy, where does he come from? What does he think about, you know? So I like to give a little mm -hmm. background so people know why my mind was always open to thinking about the possibilities rather than the limitations in life. Yeah. I spent uh, four years in Asia on cruise ships and I was touring as a magician and illusionist because I toured around the world mm -hmm. for years and years and years doing illusions. I went to 25 different countries actually. And um, I do really crazy illusion stuff where I swallow razor blades and break arrows with my neck and put my hand in wolf traps. And I use hypnosis to be able to deal with the pain so I can do those demonstrations. But I toured the world, performed on the Great Wall of China and all these places. And of course, as you mentioned, every country in the world has their own very unique, you know, trance ceremonies, ceremonies that have some kind of a spiritual element to them. So I was in um, Thailand and in Thailand, they have what's called the Kinje. And what that is, is people go into their temple, they go into a trance and open their body to their God to take over their body. And again, I'm not going to say whether I believe or not believe. I just telling you what I saw and what I experienced. Right. They, they accept their God into their body while in a trance state. Then they take big spikes about an inch, inch and a half in diameter. They push them through from one cheek, through their mouth and out the other cheek. And then they hang weights on them. Then they take skewers and put them, pull their tongue out and put them through their tongue. So their tongue is outside their mouth with these skewers. And while in this trance state, they actually have a procession or parade through the streets of their town. And they're in that procession for 24 hours. And at the end of that 24 wow. hours, they return to the temple. They pull out the skewers, they put out, pull out the spikes. Some people actually put tree branches through their cheeks from cheek to cheek, but they take all this out. And at the end of it, there's no blood, no damage, very, very small ping pricks in each, in each cheek, no damage. And they just come back to being their own selves and go back to their own normal life. And that was quite amazing to see. Wow. And you actually saw it go back to just normal? Yes. Fairly normal? Yes. Almost 100%. Oh there was just little pinpricks, little teeny pinpricks in the cheek. Yeah. And some not even anything. Uh, and being that I was a magician and illusionist, of course, I looked at it from a skeptical standpoint and a magic standpoint. And of course, I realized it was absolutely 100% real. Um, of course, that's some of the start of how I got inspired to be a hypnotist because I thought this is incredible, you know? Yeah. And then uh, we, I, we were in Indonesia and they have a different type of trance ceremony in Indonesia. There they have what's called the horse trance and they place a person in trance. They make them believe they are a horse and then they eat grass with their teeth off the ground. But what's amazing is they whip them with a leather whip and there's welts on their back and then they eat light bulbs and they chew them and they swallow the glass and then after they bring them out of the trance no blood and the marks on their back rapidly disappear and they're back to normal again and that was another thing that highly inspired me into the study of hypnosis i mean it was unbelievable to see these people whipped you know 
physically whipped yeah. on these welts on their back and then the welts simply disappear. That is mind boggling. Wow. And what was the purpose of that? Is it, was it to symbolize something or just... Yes, it's another religious, uh, you know, religious mm -hmm. ceremony for them. It's okay. something to do with taking wow. on the spirit of an animal, you know, and then because mm -hmm. they have animal gods, you know, so taking on that spirit and then living through that spirit and then be, in doing so honoring their God, I guess, would be the would be the explanation, essentially. Okay. Yeah. One of my questions I was I was wondering is whether it was hypnosis that led you to kind of seek out these things or as you're saying these things kind of led you to look into hypnosis yeah they really were the catalyst in many ways now i will say that i did see a stage hypnotist prior to that when i was touring in venezuela because i did a command performance for the president of venezuela back in 1977 and yes i'm not that young <laughs> But I, I, back in 77, I did a command performance with the president of Venezuela. Just as a side note, uh, we, I did an escape from a straitjacket for their Petty Hoda, the PTJ, which is like our FBI. And after the performance, they wanted to give me a treat. So they invited me to an autopsy of a person that had just been electrocuted, which was quite fascinating. <laughs> oh, wow. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've had some interesting things in my life happen. Yeah. In any case, I told them, oh, I'm sorry, I, I have to excuse myself. I have to rehearse for the show in the evening. So I got out of it because I really didn't want to see that autopsy. <laughs> um, yeah. But in any case, uh, while I was down there on the same show with me was a hypnotist from Colombia called Ima Buma. And we were on this stage in this building called the Helicoide, which was an outdoor thing at the time. It sort of resembled the Colosseum in Italy, but with different levels that you could park on. And on the top was the theater. Mm. So in his show, he hypnotized people and they were first, they were so deep in hypnosis, they were actually jumping off the stage and just falling and breaking legs and things. It was really bizarre. So oh that was my goodness. first stage hypnotist show I saw. And then I ultimately <laughs> saw the trance ceremonies in Asia. And then I thought, you know, this is fascinating stuff. So I came back to the States and started studying at the Hypnotism Training Institute in Glendale, California which is gone now. But at that time, it was helmed and owned by Gil Boyne, who's legendary in the hypnotherapy and hypnosis world. And he was my mentor. So I went there. And then ultimately, too, in my late 40s and early 50s, I got my degree in psychology. Um, and I'm the only one in my generation of my family ever to get a college degree. So kind of an interesting progression yeah. there. I love having hypnosis practitioners on the show. I've had a couple because it's very near and dear to my heart because I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a hypnosis practitioner as well. It's what oh, wow. I do in my day job. <laughs> That's awesome. And it never fails. Yeah, people make the appointment, but then they look terrified. And I do these online because of COVID now. They look terrified. Why do you think people are so hesitant to be hypnotized? That's a very in-depth answer. I can give you a short, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to, make it as concise as I can for you. It goes back long, long ago in literature and film and probably, well, of course, Trilby, which became Svengali, the film, but the book Trilby uh, in France. But as far as film, I would say it began in 1919 in German Expressionist era in Germany uh, when The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was released. Now, this was between World War I and World War II and it reflected the anxieties of the German people. But it was about a hypnotist, it's a silent film, who uh, actually performed at the carnival, and he had a somnambulist in a coffin. 
named Cesare. And this somnambulist was hypnotized 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all in trance all the time. And in the carnival, he would come out of the coffin and he would do predictions for the audience. And usually he predicts someone that was going to die. And then that evening, the somnambulist would go out and actually murder that person. So that was the start in many ways of how people feel about hypnosis. And mind you, it has not ended. Because just about a year and a half, two years ago, you might be familiar with the movie Get Out that was out for a while. And it was a pretty good hit. Anyway, in that movie, again, it was about mind control. It was about making someone do something they don't want. And so this is deeply, deeply enshrined in people's subconscious minds from when they're very little. Whether it's in comic books, all the evil guys are usually hypnotists. <laughs> or, um, for instance, in uh, literature or in soap operas. Usually the vampire or the witches, uh, I was a big fan of Dark Shadows. And in fact, I spent a day on this mm -hmm. set of Dark Shadows, the original soap opera back in the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And of course, in that, Angelique the Witch and, and Barnabas and Count Potofi, they all used hypnosis to do evil bidding to people or make people do things that they didn't mm -hmm. want to do. So what I'm saying is it's very deep seated in the mentality of everyone that a, they're very scared they're going to lose control and B, they're going to be caused to do something they don't want to do. Now, in reality, you and I know yeah. that hypnotherapy is a natural state of relaxation. And when you're in natural hypnosis, you're learning to control your mind more efficiently than you've ever done before. So you will never do anything you don't want to do while in trance. Now, we do know the exception of that is like, I don't know if you saw the Manchurian candidate with Frank Sinatra, not the Denzel Washington one, but the original um, where they might use hypnosis and hypnotic drugs to make someone want to assassinate a political person. Well, if you use hypnotic drugs with it, of course it breaks down your walls and it breaks down your, your morality and all of that. Yeah. But natural hypnosis like you and I do, you're actually allowing the person to find their own solutions through their own mind and heal themselves in a very positive and awesome way. So there's nothing negative about hypnosis except for what the media has created in far as the perception that people have in their mind of hypnosis. Yeah, that is exactly what I've seen with people too, is they just, they always think that they're going to lose control and yeah. they're not going to be able to, I'm going to program something crazy into their mind. <laughs> well, I had a friend that made a t-shirt and I thought it really encapsulated everything. It said hypnosis because you have the right to change your own mind. How perfect is that? That is awesome. <laughs> I need <Yeah>. that. <laughs> So what would you say to someone that wanted to know, why would I ever want to be hypnotized? They might say, well, what's in it for me? Okay. Well, here's the answer to that. And that is in life from age one to eight, we have an uncritical acceptance of idea. In other words, everything that goes in our mind from age one to eight stays in our mind. We don't have a way of deflecting it or deciding if it's good or bad. So for instance, you're driving down the highway you're singing to a song on the radio, you're in a little baby seat or in the car seat in the back. Your mom or dad or someone turns around and says, would you cut that noise out? Well, from then on, you may feel you don't, you shouldn't express yourself in public. You shouldn't be outgoing. You shouldn't be able to tell people how you feel, or maybe just simply you don't know, you'll never be able to sing because you're not a good singer. Whatever it is, what happens is that stays in there and it keeps going around like a broken record and it shapes everything we do in our adult life. But now after age eight or 11, you get the critical part of your mind, the conscious part of your mind takes over. There's a wall there and you deflect stuff. But the problem is, unless you go back and set aside the critical part of your mind 
and reach into that subconscious and in turn rephrase how you look at all those youthful experiences, you're never going to be able to get the full value out of your life. So when you say, what would people get out of it? They'd get out of it being able to actually make an awesome change in their life in a positive way that's not possible through any other modality of treatment except for hypnotherapy. I was reading this study one time that said that hypnosis actually helps people take care of a lot of the issues in their life faster than just going to talk therapy. Oh, you know, Mela, you are absolutely right. Um, that's the strength of hypnotherapy and hypnosis is because unlike other modalities of treatment, now I'm not speaking against psychologists yeah. or psychiatrists. They are incredible at what they do. I'm a lay practitioner, as are you, so we have our place. Our place is wonderful because with what we do, it's very rapid. I was taught by Gil Boyne, my mentor, that if you can't help someone within three sessions, then move on because then they, it would indicate that they don't have a willingness to want to make a change and you have to want to make that change. Yeah. But if people want to make a change, hypnosis can in many cases solve a situation, a psychological challenge, a mental challenge much quicker than the other modalities of psychiatry or psychology. And we can do it in about three sessions. I had a lady last week that I did therapy with. In fact, she invited me on her show afterwards and it's going to be coming out on video on YouTube in one one hour session. We took her back. I was able to get her to face something that happened in her youth. And because of that, she has had an amazing couple of weeks. She just feels so much better because she was able to release a lot of things that happened to her as a young person and to actually have a conversation with her mom and clear a lot of things up. That's the beauty of hypnosis, as you were saying, Mela, is that it's very rapid. And if it doesn't happen rapidly, then move on to another modality. But most people, if they want to make that change, we can help them to do it very rapidly. Yeah, I think that is key about they have to want it. I I do stop smoking every once in a while. And I always ask, I ask for anything, but specifically for this, do you really want to quit smoking? And if they say, well, my wife wants me to quit or right. my doctor told me to quit. And then I say, um, just want, I just want to make sure you know, if you don't truly want this, this is, this is not going to work. You are absolutely right. That's the core of any change. I don't care if... I don't care if you're going to a psychiatrist, psychologist. See, psychologists and psychiatrists, they will follow a map. We don't follow a map. That's another thing I want to mention. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand the major difference also between psychologists and psychiatrists is they have a map. They have a roadmap they're going to use to try and help you, which is wonderful. But we don't have a map. Mm -hmm. we, simply, we simply help a person to design their own path to healing. And in doing so, we help them along the way. And we teach them self-hypnosis, which is a reaffirming uh, technique throughout the rest of their lives. But yes, you have to want to have that change. I always tell people, I can't make you do anything. You have to want it. If you want it, I can help you achieve it, but you have to want the change. Exactly. So you've got something called the COVID-gnosis hypnotherapy program. Why is this so effective for pandemic issues? And tell me more about it. Oh, thanks. Well, Mela, yes, I devised the COVID-gnosis program because I, as, as you may have noted too, and we've talked about briefly, I was an entertainer for many, many years. I still do entertainment also, but when the pandemic happened, literally overnight, all my friends lost all their meaning in life, not just money, but meaning. Um, they lost yeah. what they lived for. They built for decades. They had, you know, and since then they've lost uh, relationships. They've lost homes. 
In turn, a lot of my friends who are not entertainment oriented started having the same issues as it kept dragging on. And so as hypnotherapists, you and I are both uniquely positioned to help with the main issues of the pandemic. And those main issues, there are three actually. The first one is stress and anxiety. And I'm sure you and you've had some, I've had some, we've all had some, but for some others, it's you know debilitating. And then second mm -hmm. is sleep issues. The second main prong is sleep, sleep disorders and sleep issues, which hypnosis is phenomenal to help with. And then yeah. finally, uh, it's confidence building and slash weight control. A lot of people have been sitting at home, they've gained some weight, but also they've been inside so long because of that and the distancing and not being around people and not being in situations with lots of people, it's very hard for many people to interject themselves back into society. So this COVID gnosis, the first session is just a visit for a half hour. So I get to know the person. And then the other three, the first one is the uh, stress anxiety. The second is sleep. And the third is the confidence. And if we need it, the weight. Uh, and after each session, I give them a free download to reinforce it of audio self-hypnosis. Because remember, the idea is to teach them to become their own expert and their own healer. And that's the goal ultimately. Uh, and I, we just sort of kickstart it with them. So that's, that's the COVID Gnosis program. It's very uh, reasonable in price and you're only spending four hours of your life to make amazing changes. Yeah, that sounds incredible. While you were traveling, were, were you also having paranormal experiences or doing any active ghost hunting? Well, you know, my, my experience with my grandfather also inspired me to look into the spirit world a little more. And mm -hmm. I will tell you, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you a story here that happened to me before I became a ghost hunter. And it's pretty amazing. Many, many years back, I used to, I always did a convention in Las Vegas for the International Affairs Association because I perform at a lot of fairs, state fairs and all that. So I was in Las Vegas at the Hilton and in the Hilton, they had the Star Trek experience. By the way, I'm a big Star Trek fanatic. Okay. I love Star Trek myself. Do you really? <laughs> yes. About a year and a half ago, my daughter and I spent the day working with Star Trek folks. I worked with Jonathan Frakes and his wife, Jeannie Francis, and my daughter worked with Gates McFadden. And we had lunch with Shatner and all the next generation amazing. folks. So it was really amazing. By the way, Bill Shatner is an amazing guy, but that's another story. In any case, I was in Vegas at this convention. They had the Star Trek experience at the Hilton. And my son was a big fan, both my children. In fact, my daughter's name is Ilea, named after Ilea in Star Trek, the motion picture. And my son is Wesley, named after Wesley Crusher. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I was in the Star Trek experience, picking up souvenir, a souvenir for him before I went home from Las Vegas. Now, Las Vegas is about a three and a half drive from my house, just to preface this. So I walked outside. It was a cold night. It was in December and the wind was blowing, and I was waiting to go across the street to the parking facility to get my car. Well, a lady steps up next to me and she says, I see you were at the Star Trek experience because I was holding the Star Trek experience bag with a souvenir in it. And I said, oh yeah, I love Star Trek and blah, blah. So she goes, well, you know, I was on Enterprise. I said, really? Yeah, and of course, for those that don't know Trek, it was the series with, with uh, Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap. So uh, I said, wow, that's great. My son would love to meet you. And so then a car went by really quick, really close to the curb. So I turned my head to follow the car. I looked back. She was gone, but I didn't think it was unusual because the door was behind us. It was freezing out there, right? So I thought probably she mm -hmm. just walked back inside, whatever, and I was distracted. I drove three and a half hours home. I get in the house. My son takes his present. They said, Dad, we got the latest issue of the Star Trek magazine. I thought, oh, awesome. So while he was getting out his present, I was reading through the magazine. 
I get to the final page and there's the, an obituary. It was for Michelle Waymire. Now she died at age 35 and guess what? It was the same person I saw just three and a half hours later. She had died a month before. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. And, and she was at the Star Trek experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they had recently put in some things from Enterprise there on display. So I don't know if she was attached yeah. to some of the items in the Museum of the Future or not. They, they call it the Museum of the Future. Yeah. And they had added Enterprise mm. stuff at that point, which originally they didn't have Enterprise. They had up through Voyager. And so maybe she was attached to one of the uniforms, one of the things there. I don't know. So that piqued your interest in doing some ghost hunting then? Yes. Well, the following year in Las Vegas, my friend Greg Benick, who's a world-class juggler and speaker, also, he's the lead singer of Trial, which is an amazing band that toured the world. We were there at the convention again, and we were staying across the street at the Sahara Hotel, and we were coming out in the evening to go to an event. There were two ladies holding drinks in an elevator at the parking structure. We ran towards the door. It closed just briefly. We pushed the button. It opened back up. The ladies were gone, but the two drinks were sitting on the floor of the elevator. Then, oh, wow. then we went up the elevator. The doors opened at our level. And the two ladies were standing in the corner of the parking garage staring at us. Needless to say, we got in our car and got out of there rapidly. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of spirit activity in Vegas. But yeah, all of that added together to make me want to tour, you know, on my tours as an entertainer. I always find anywhere in the town that I can go ghost hunting and do incredible. You know, I was just uh, in San Antonio, Texas about a week ago, two or three weeks ago. Now, time passes quick. And... I did an uh, adventure on the Donkey Lady Bridge. I don't know if you know mm. about that. Have you ever heard of the Donkey I've Lady? I've heard about that. Yeah. So what it is, is that in the old days in San Antonio, uh, the rich people would leave town when they wanted to party, have crazy parties and drinking and all that, because they didn't want to be seen by their fellow rich people behaving that way. So they would leave the town mm. about a mile south. They'd drive their horses down. Well, the donkey lady that they now call her, her and her husband and her two children had a ranch about a mile south of San Antonio and maybe a little bit more. Uh, these people were down partying on their property, destroying their crops and everything. So the husband went out and you know made them leave the property with a shock. I imagine guns, whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. they sent down a gang to destroy that family and they actually burned the house. And in that fire, uh, the husband and two children were uh, murdered and the donkey lady survived. And the reason they call her the donkey lady, and I can't get the real name. I hate using that name because it's so derogatory, but I can't get the real name of the individual. It's so long in folklore now. But what happened was that she, her face was burned so that it kind of drooped like, and it looked like resembled the face of a donkey. And then her hands oh. became like hooves because they were burned down to the bone without fingers. And so she was titled the donkey lady. In any case, this bridge by her house has been, been a center of a lot of spirit activity. So a few weeks ago when I was there, I went ghost hunting along with my wife, Susie, who works with me. And we did a lot of old school with uh, dowsing rods and things like that. I also use ghost box and all that. It was very interesting because on mm -hmm. my ghost box, which is on my pad, it's a, it's a different kind of ghost box. It has thousands of words programmed into it that keep going around and around. And they'll stop if the spirits want to say something. So for the first mm. time ever at that particular ghost hunt, my name came up, Michael Mesmer. It was a man with the first part, Michael, and it was a lady's voice in Mesmer. But the strange thing is, wow. Mesmer would never be in that catalog of words in that ghost box. 
And then we did the old school wow. experiment where you take a flashlight and you unscrew it where it's not connected, but yet it's just almost connecting. Mm -hmm. And we did a Q and A with that on the bridge. It was about five feet from me and doggone if that light didn't pop on during the Q and A. Mm. Wow. Did you put something on YouTube about this? Cause I think that's where I saw the name yeah. donkey lady bridge. Now you can go on YouTube on my channel, Michael Mesmer, and there'll be six or seven ghost hunting adventures on there. I was watching part of one of them where the technology was letting you watch energy moving across piano keys. And then I think the a battery was so hot you couldn't hold it. Was that the same one? Yeah, well, that's a different one. That's in Butte, Montana. But oh. well, that was at the uh, Clark Chateau in Butte, Montana. And what was interesting about that particular one is we didn't connect this. You know, when we go ghost hunting, my wife and I, we never think of it in a personal way, okay? Uh, very rarely, except mm -hmm. when that when the spirit box said Michael Mesmer on that night. That was pretty personal. That <laughs> that particular ghost hunt, we had been over all day throughout Butte, and my wife, her first husband, who passed away of a heart attack many years before we met. Well, we actually met, but we didn't really know each other. And he, her husband actually set up sound for me on a stage, and I knew him. But anyway, we had talked about him all day. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we went to this ghost hunt that night at the chateau, and. The ghost box kept saying the name of the person was Robert, Robert. And then, and, and the piano thing, I was picking up with energy on the piano. It was like playing the piano on the EMT meter. And, you know, mm -hmm. it was beeping like a piano song. And then when we were in the seance room that they used for a seance in that house, we had our EMT meters on the table and they were beeping like a heartbeat. Like you hear when you're watching a doctor's drama and they have that things connected where it's going beep, beep. Yeah but they were doing it in tune with each other. That never happened before where they both are responding at oh, the wow. same time in tune. Now, as we took those, we sat them on my wife's lap. They got louder and louder. And, and you know, of course you're supposed to be near electronics. Well, it was in her lap. Anyway, the name re refined itself to say it was Bob. Well, we never connected that night, but it turned out we thought later and realized something. Oh, and there was another sensitive there with dowsing rods. And it said, someone's looking for a Susie. And that's my wife's name. Anyway, after the whole mm. fact, because we never connect personally, we realized it was her husband, mm -hmm. Bob, who was trying to connect with us the whole night, connect with her. Then oh, it was Robert wow. and he said, Bob. And plus that those meters were going off in her lap only. And also he died of a heart attack. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember watching that. I, I remember seeing the meters sitting on the seance table. I, I didn't quite catch that they were going is you know at the same time but that's pretty amazing yeah it really was and and in that video i never mentioned about the connection with my wife because at that point when i made that i make them mm -hmm. the day after i i really hadn't connected that whole thing i don't know how we were that ignorant really but we just were we just because we take <laughs> it as a we take it professional rather than thinking of it in a personal yeah. Kind of way yeah when you have these types of experience and i've had lots of experiences with ghosts and supernatural beings and things like that since I was a child, but mm -hmm. it's hard to understand skeptics when we have had these type of experience. So how do you deal with skeptics? Well, for one, I don't have any abilities to be sensitive that way to the spirits. I may have, and may not be aware of them. So my things are mm -hmm. always scientifically based in the sense that, mm. um, you know, I'm using devices. I'm, I'm following a certain pattern that I use for my investigations. But I do tell them stories about my grandpa. And then when I tell, actually, when I tell them the story about Las Vegas, usually most of them, if they know me personally, they become not necessarily believers, but they are open to believing. So 
Do you ever get involved in crossing spirits over or clearing energy from places you visit? No, I when I go in, I say a prayer. And when I leave, I say a prayer. But I also always tell them okay. that, you know, I'm going home now and I've enjoyed our our visit and our experience together. And of course, this is your home for the moment. So you'll stay here and I'll head home because I always want to protect myself, yeah. you know. But yeah. um, I don't have that ability per se. You know, I love Ghost Whisperer, that TV series with Jennifer Love Hewitt. It's one of my yeah. favorites. I own it on DVD. But uh, I don't have that ability to speak directly that way. And, and in that, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be able mm -hmm. to have the insight to know how to lead them that way. Okay. If you haven't already told us, what was the most amazing paranormal experience you've ever had? Well, I think I did tell you. I think the Vegas one has to top them all. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> and the great part about that is I wasn't seeking it. You know, I wasn't ghost hunting. I wasn't even mm -hmm. in that mode at that time in my life. So that's what made that one mm -hmm. so unbelievable. And that she was right there talking to me just like, a, it wasn't like a something you couldn't touch. I mean, she was just like a human being standing there yeah. visiting with me. It was a full body apparition and yeah. totally just like a person. And so when I saw the, her picture just three and a half hours later, and she had been dead since November, that that was life changing right there. Yeah, I bet. I do ghost tours at a local museum. And when I was in costume, because I'm a costume interpreter, I saw the famous ghost of the building just standing there in overalls and a black and white check shirt one day. And it was, I went chasing him thinking someone was playing a trick on me, but he was there. He was there. I saw him. He, he has made himself known in other ways, but that's oh, yeah. the first time that I ever actually saw him. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that you saw him clearly. I mean, I've had the same experience, so I understand what you're talking about. But, mm -hmm. but it's like um, there was a famous saying by Joseph Dunninger, who was a mentalist. To those who believe no explanation is necessary, to those who do not believe, no explanation will suffice. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Is there a place or area that you have visited for ghost hunts or even just where things happen to you that you would, that you say never again, once is enough, I'm <laughs> not going back. Um, no, and I'll tell you why. Uh, very much like Ghost Whisperer in many respects, I've never had any malicious spirits or any I don't deal with demons, demonic stuff. It's not my area. and But I've never found a spirit to be evil, malicious, or want to hurt you. I've always, in fact, just like Ghost Whisperer, I think a lot of the spirits don't even believe. Do you ever see the movie The Others with Nicole Kidman? Have you ever seen that one, Mela? No, I've never seen that. Okay, that, I hate to give you away the secret of the film, but I, I will because I'm trying to explain something. But Nicole Kidman and her family are in a house in Old England and they're haunted during this whole film. But what it turns out is they're actually the ghosts. And the people mm. haunting them are actually the people having a seance that are trying to buy the house and move in and clear it of spirits. And I found that oh, I, wow. feel, I feel that spirits are very much that way. I don't think that they're haunting us. I think that they're with us in a different space. And occasionally vibration mm. makes us cross over and reach one another one way or another. But I don't think they're focusing on, oh, I'm going to scare this. You know, when you see ghost adventures, I love Zach Baggins, and especially Aaron in the show. He's hilarious. But I think a lot of that is for dramatic impact on television. And I think that yeah. in the real spirit realm, I don't think they're trying to hurt us at all. If anything, they're just trying to find an answer and know where to go or what to do. I think they may, may not even know they're dead, just like the film The Others. If you get a chance, watch. I told you the secret of it, but it's still fascinating. So if you get a chance, watch that sometime. Yeah, definitely. 
good. I was talking to Miranda. Um, she's the ghost biker. And we were saying that when people go into these places where these terrible things or really scary things happen, but they walk in and say, this is the most haunted place and this place is so evil. It, it's almost like the spirits there say, okay, yeah, sure. We'll show you that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's all the, the way that you carry yourself. When I go in, they know I'm just there to spend time with them. I would say one of the most chilling times I ever had was I, w I did ghost hunting a couple times at the old Montana prison uh, up in Deer Lodge, Montana. And it's very haunted. Uh, there's a lot of things that went on there with hanging uh, of a prisoner. And there's there's um, uh, there was a prison break that was happening one time. And uh, the guy, by mistake, that was leading the prison break shot his gay lover. And then he committed suicide up in Tower 7, I think it was. And so a lot of tragedy happened there. The, one of the most chilling things that ever happened to me, I was in the women's section of the old Montana prison. And we, it was about 3 in the morning at the witching hour. And... I was sitting in there with the door closed in total darkness. And for a while it felt very positive, but then I heard a female voice. Now, you know how this is. It may not have been audible. It may have been in your mind, directly into your mind, yeah. or it may have been audible. It felt audible, but it may have been one or the other, but I just heard, get out. So I left immediately, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah. Was, I was sitting on the bed of the most active spirit of the female prisoners. And that, that happened on that evening. I got a great spirit oh, orb wow. that night in the theater where they actually hung a prisoner. I got a spirit orb photo that was unbelievable. Mm, this is so interesting. I love stories like this. I've had so many stories of my own, so I, I'm very much about hearing other people's stories and experiences. Sure. How, how do people get in touch with you if they're interested in your COVID Gnosis program or anything else that you do? Sure. First, uh, they can go to my website, which is covidnosis.weebly.com that's c-o-v-i-d-n-o-s-i-s dot w-e-e-b-l-y dot com or they can find me on Facebook at michael.mesmer and that's m-e-z-m-e-r michael.mesmer and they can mess message me there as well uh, and then if they want to find me on Spotify with my own little podcast show which I don't have guests on it's just me talking about all these things that we're talking about for my life yeah. But it's the Michael Mesmer Show. So that's M-E-Z-M-E-R, the Michael Mesmer Show on Spotify. Okay, awesome. Thank you. It's just been an incredible conversation, Michael. So thank you again for being here with us. It's all my pleasure. You're awesome. I can see that we're in tune with a lot oh, thank of things, you. so it was great. Oh, wonderful. Y'all check out the links in the show notes. I'll have all these links in there for Michael Mesmer. If you get in touch, be sure to tell him that you heard about him on Bell, Book, and Candle. And don't forget that you can always send me comments about an episode, insights, or questions you'd like me to answer by clicking on the link to send a little voice message to me. Super easy, y'all. If you've had any experience with strange trance rituals or weird paranormal stories, I'd sure love to hear about that as well. Take care, and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.